What makes a leader? What pulls us beyond what we thought was our best and into sustained greatness? Tune in right here with Ron Kitchens to learn how to challenge and change your best so that you can move forward into leading at your highest level. Hey everyone, I'm Shannon Allen here on the Always Forward Leadership Podcast with Ron Kitchens. Ron, how are you today? I am episode 293. Awesome. That is awesome. We are on episode 293. We need to plan something great for episode 300 for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we're in November and we've got the holidays coming up. What are some of your favorite holiday traditions? Oh, for me, that's an easy one because I, uh, you know, and I've told the story, written about it, featured it in my last book. It's a mandarin oranges. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea that, you know, I, uh, uh, the Christmas food basket, you know, given by people mm-hmm. from a church we didn't attend, um, completely changed my life and perspective. And so, you know, supporting organizations that do food baskets um, is something that's really important to Lynn and I. And we've mm-hmm. got eight or 10 now around the country that we support this time of year. You know, we don't require them. We ask them to put in mandarin oranges. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's one of those things that uh, maybe is the single most meaningful thing uh, that I do all year that yeah. gives me selfish great joy. Yes. Our church, um, every year around Christmas time, we do something called One Bit Christmas. And um, it was something that we started... A few, well, several years ago, actually, where we have parents who need help providing mm-hmm. Christmas gifts for their kids. Um, but instead of just saying, well, how old do you have a girl age 10 and putting something together that we think that kid would want and handing it to yeah. them, we actually set up a toy store at our church. And so we take in donations and everything, and um, the parents are able to come with a voucher and shop for their kids. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's just... It's been really rewarding to watch. You know, I think I don't think we understood the implications of it, but parents that come through and tell us how empowered they feel, um, being able to pick a toy off the shelf for their own kid instead of being handed a bag of toys, um, is pretty, it's pretty amazing. So, and I'm yeah. kind of the same way. It gives me that like selfish, you know, joy of just seeing that um, for families. So, you know, what I, I I think that's amazing. I think it's, it reminds me of this thought that empowering the normal Mm -hmm. is so important for folks. Um, There's a great church in uh, north of Chicago called Willow Creek, and Willow Creek Mm -hmm. really invented the idea of the megachurch. But one of the things they did is that not dissimilar than lots of churches had a food pantry, but they set up their food pantry as a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a grocery store. It feels like a grocery store. It's stocked like a grocery store. And people come in and shop. Yes. Name brand products. They pick out, do you want two dozen eggs or a dozen eggs? Mm-hmm. But you have a voucher amount. Mm-hmm. So it teaches people how to shop with dollar values, not government right. subsidized right. chips, tokens, mm-hmm. whatever you would call it. But it also gives them a normalized experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and being in there and seeing that in real time, uh, I've kind of forgotten how powerful that is. Right. It, it is the things that we take for granted that are normal, um, that aren't accessible to so many people. So I was at a conference earlier this year um, where a man who advocates for homeless people 
was talking about the statistics of like how long most homeless people go without somebody making eye contact. And something, and I've not forgotten that. Like, I, I just haven't forgotten that. And so, you know, that normalization of somebody looking me in the eye is something, I mean, we do, we look each other in the eye, yep. you know, at least 20 times a day probably. Um, but, yeah, bringing normalization to people who don't have access to those things is so important. It is. So, yep. So today we're going to be talking about uh, startup hacks. And so there has not been uh, two weeks that have gone by since I started working with you, Ron, where I haven't learned about a new a business that you started at some point. You know, it's like the no, gas, the gas station, um, the horse business, the wine business, you know, and, I, and every couple weeks I just get this new surprise dropped of a business that you were a part of. Um, and so I'm like, who better than Ron Kitchens to talk to potential startup owners and current mm-hmm. startup owners um, about some tips and things that you've learned over the years. So let's, can you just tell us about some of the businesses that you've started? And sure, sure. So it should be clear that I, so I'm not a flake. Well, maybe I am a flake. But <laughs> You're not a flake. <laughs> I, um, I have always liked business and wanted to know how it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, I was more interested in a kid in understanding how the baseball ownership of a team worked than I was fascinated by the play on the field. Mm-hmm. But always, and probably why I do economic development, part of mm-hmm. it is I'm fascinated how we can use the resources of a business that creates value, that creates profits, that creates outcomes, that we can then use those to create other outcomes mm-hmm. and experiences. So I uh, I like business. Now, I got into business because I was poor, because mm-hmm. I couldn't afford to go to college. And so I was able to acquire a gas station um, convenience store, kind of, sort of, in those vernacular of those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was able to then leverage multiple uh, business opportunities mm-hmm and multiple locations from that. Um, Not so much because I had a passion for convenience stores or had a passion for gasoline or oil or selling Snickers bars, (laughs) but I had a passion for employing people. Mm -hmm. I had a passion for this idea that if I could just grow, I could get more people jobs. Mm -hmm. I could get, you know, I remember, you know, a friend of mine's dad um, was a bus driver for Greyhound. And they went on strike Mm -hmm. and were on extended strike and, you know, he couldn't pay the rent. And I could give him a job and he could pay his family's rent, take care of his family. Mm -hmm. You know, and so those are the things that I love about business. Business enables me to change the world. Also enables me to learn about things in a way that matters. It's not a tourist, Mm -hmm. but an owner. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've done everything from, you know, import, export of rugby equipment, pre-internet. There was no way of, you know, you could, you know, go to Europe or go to, you know, Astra Asia and, um, and pick up a rugby equipment. But there just were, you know, two vendors in the wow. country. And you kind of got what you got. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to put together some relationships. And uh, in import-export um, equipment, we were actually exporting American um, 
softball jackets, satin wow. jackets <laughs> embroidered yes. to Europe. Wow. For and then bringing in European rugby equipment, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and it was fun, and we sold a lot of those things. That's cool. And then you know, the internet came mm-hmm. along, disrupted it all, and now there's lots of access for mm-hmm. everybody. So it's not really something very interesting, right? I'm more interested in solving problems mm-hmm. than I am the profit that right. comes with it, right? Which probably makes me a crappy businessman, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. So. Uh, but, you know, we've done things like, you know, Catalyst University, the Leadership Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, that was about seeing a problem and saying, what are the solutions that we have the ability to leverage mm-hmm. to solve a problem, to change uh, a community? And in that case, it was this idea that, and we're seeing it manifest itself. And I hate that I'm right. Mm-hmm. Because, but what we projected was about this time, not knowing COVID was coming, right. but a decade ago or longer, said there's going to be a cliff. The baby boomers are going to leave the workforce in mass. Mm. And, um, and, you know, we got with some stock market folks and they projected here's what the market's going to do. And they projected, you know, here's at the point the baby boomers will start jumping. Mm-hmm. COVID pushed that forward by right. about 18 months. Right. But what we saw that was important was the next generation is smaller. And then the, the generation after that uh, was the one that was going to be faced with the burden of replacing the baby mm-hmm. boomers. And they were going to have to do so at a way where they weren't given the experience, the training, or the right. development that all preceding generations had gotten in, uh, in their personal development. So we had to find a way to um, speed up mm-hmm. that educational process, to burden people with knowledge about what it was going to take to learn so that when they got there, they remembered, oh, Jess Ekstrom right. talked about that story, and now I know how to use that story and apply her work to my work mm-hmm. to allow my organization to thrive. Mm-hmm. And so that's really where Catalyst University came from, you know, Consultant Connect, um, and both of those, uh, Catalyst University and Consultant Connect, continue on without me. They're thriving. Um, you know, Consultant Connect, you know, was come at, came out of this idea that I, I saw economic developers being abused mm-hmm. by um, these consulting groups, by printed media, by all kinds of people who were promising them success but weren't delivering anything that was going mm-hmm. to enable that. Mm-hmm. And they were doing it with fear that if you don't do this, your board's going to think you're right. not competent and you're going to get fired. And then they would get them to place these big ads that never generate mm-hmm. deals that um, that could justify the expense. So they'd get them to go to the conferences in you know these luxury islands. Well, that's how people's career died. Right is doing that. And so I could not stand by and watch my peers, watch economic developers be abused by the un- these unscrupulous people. And so we created Consultant Connect because when we went to the site consultants around the country, they had the same exact issues of economic developers being treated like chattel or slot mm-hmm. machines by some of their peers, mm-hmm. a lot of their peers, by these publications. And so what we did was create a marketplace where, um, you know, in our model, everybody's sitting on the same side of the table. Mm-hmm. There is no 
two sides of the table. We all thrive together. We all succeed together. We hold each other with the highest values. Mm -hmm. And first and foremost, we respect each other for the really hard, amazing work we're all trying to do together. I really love that concept of starting businesses to solve problems. So many people start a business because they don't want to work for anybody else anymore. Or, or can't. Nobody yeah, will tolerate can. their <laughs> right, BS. Right, right. Or, you know, I just want a side hustle. I just want a little bit of extra money. I just want. Yeah. But I think solving a business or starting a business that solves a problem is what will help make your business successful. Because if your business isn't solving problems, you're not relevant. That's you know? right. So that's really important. So tell us about your most, your most successful and your least successful ventures and what you learned from those or what you attribute that to. Oh, I think the most successful is Consultant Connect. And mm-hmm. Carla and Faye and Nick are just doing an incredible job running that there. I, um, I am such a huge fan of theirs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, uh, I'm grateful they don't need me to, to be involved there because of how amazing they are. And they're changing people's lives every day. And it allows me to go work on other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the thing that I was probably least successful at is we launched a magazine a few years ago mm-hmm. uh, around this idea that there was no media telling the stories that we needed to have told. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that we were trying to manipulate it. It's just they weren't interested in right. telling you know, stories that weren't negative or ugly or man bites dog. And we needed stories that lifted up people, that burdened people with knowledge that they needed every day to thrive. And we did it in a magazine format. And it did okay. Mm -hmm. But the cost and the slowness of it Mm -hmm. um, didn't match the needs of society. Mm You know, nobody's interesting in reading. Nobody, nobody wants to eat three-day-old bread or read a three-day-old right. story. Right. And so we pivoted and went to a digital version. And uh, Heather Smith Baker, who led that uh, business, is incredible and made it so relevant mm-hmm. and so dynamic and amazing that we took something that um, that was just. Um, wasn't quite on life support, mm-hmm. but it certainly was not as healthy as it should be. wasn't going to run the court, you know, the right. four-minute mile, and uh, and pivoted it to a strategy that is incredible and dynamic and serves uh, everyone so well. Absolutely, and you know, pivoting a business that's not performing the way you want it to, rather than just giving up on it or shutting it down, the way you're pivoting that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is a great lesson for leaders and startup owners to to learn, you know, that just because your idea doesn't work the way you started, it doesn't mean it's a bad idea overall, you know. That's so, right. Or there's not value there that can be discerned and translated and uh, and create an even higher set of values. Absolutely. So the business plan. Um, everyone says that, you know, the business plan is important, and of course it is. Um, but I've met startup owners who don't know what that is, don't know where to start. So where do you start with developing a business plan? So, um, you know, one of the businesses that I was very active in, um, Life Science Venture Fund, where I served as the um, as the general partner, so the head of the fund, mm-hmm. you know, we would give business plans that would be four or 500 pages. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, we never read them. Right. Not interested. 
Uh, give me a six-page business plan. What's the old saying? Maybe it's even, it's not Shakespeare, but I'll claim it's Shakespeare because <laughs> it's probably going to be on the internet and you know to be true. But you know, I wrote you a long letter because I didn't have time to write you a short mm-hmm. one. And so, if you can't say it in a way that you and I can have a very quick fifteen-minute conversation right. on, you don't get what you're doing. Right. You know, I don't need your projections of you know, ninety years worth of financials. Because one of one of those numbers, the numerator or the denominator being off on page one makes the whole thing right. of no value. So a business plan is what what problem are we solving? Mm-hmm. What resources, time, talent, treasure do we need to solve that in? Um, why should we be the ones solving it mm-hmm. versus somewhere else? Who's trying to solve it besides us? Mm-hmm. And what's the return on investment for solving that problem? And in today's world, I think the return on investment um, isn't just the financial bottom right, line. Right. It's what's the impact on society and culture. Mm-hmm. What's the financial impact? What's the um, impact on you know environment? You know, and there, and depending on where you are, you know, I have a, a several friends who are you know in the social entrepreneurial um, phase and. You know, one of them is focusing on pulling plastics out of the ocean mm-hmm. and finding products that they can um, use those plastics to do. Wow. He's really focused right now on um, on uh, bags, canvas bags, mm-hmm. redoing the plastic into a form of canvas, making these cool canvas beach bags. Wow. And, um, you know, so for me, you go, okay, is his business bags or is his business clean ocean? Right. And so it's okay that his outcomes are both mm-hmm. because that's what makes it interesting. If he was just doing bags out of recycled plastic, mm-hmm. I go, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I can buy those off Alibaba, right. you know, at pennies a piece mm-hmm. and have it. So assuming I never get them delivered right, from they, China. Right, they'll be here but, in six months. <laughs> but I can buy them there. So right. it has to be bigger than that. So, mm-hmm. you know, a business plan is about, the soul of the opportunity, mm-hmm. not about the financial um, demographics. Right. It sounds like it's not just about finding your why, but having a why that matters to other people too. That if, particularly if you're asking other people for mm-hmm. their money. Right. You know, in the typical, you know, successful business, uh, pre-COVID need about $25,000 of outside money. Mm-hmm. That was whether it's you know, friends, families, and fools, or right. loan from your bank, <laughs> or your credit card, or whatever it is, you're going to need about 25 grand mm-hmm. that you don't have in your checking account. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times the business plan is critical to that. Right. Absolutely. So how do you keep a good pulse on your business to make sure that you're following that plan? Um, get an outside advisor mm-hmm. to help you figure out what the numbers are that matter. Okay. Because it too many times we can all fool ourselves into measuring things that don't matter. Mm-hmm. But there are certain numbers that matter at different times. Cash flow matters. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how well you're doing. If you can't pay the light bill, right. you know, if you can't pay for the sewing machine, you can't sew the bag to sell mm-hmm. it to go out the door. Mm-hmm. So cash flow is critical. But also, if you're my friend pulling plastics out of the ocean, how many pounds of plastics you pull out 
is critically important because that's your raw material right. to create the cloth that's right. going to create the bag. But, you know, there are other things that just because you can measure them don't mean they matter. Mm -hmm. So you've got to have somebody who's a third party to help you figure that out and help you then figure out how you easily track that and where your green lines, yellow lines, and red lines mm -hmm. are. Where you know, oh, I'm getting close to this. I better make sure my collections are coming in, or I right. better find out why we're not getting more, you know, uh, this or that done. Mm -hmm. But you've got to know what ma what ma what you can measure, what matters, and then what the critical inflection points are. Wow. Okay. So how do you know when it's time to make major adjustments to, let's say you're following your business plan, but it's just not working. How do you know when it's time to make those adjustments or go back to the drawing board even? So I'm um, a big believer on a board of directors. So, you know, and I don't necessarily mean, you know, corporate Titan board of directors. Mm -hmm. It um, could be as simple as, you know, a personal board of directors, but a group of men and women who are regularly hearing your story, mm -hmm. who can then challenge you that, um, that you may need to look at things different. Mm -hmm. So another friend and another bag story. So... My friend Jeff Schinnebarger, um, who runs Plywood People mm -hmm. in Atlanta, when Jeff first began, um, one of the ways Jeff was funding the not-for-profit and meeting his social responsibility is he bought some or had donated some commercial sewing machines, and they were sign companies were donating the canvases off of signs. Mm -hmm. Jeff had come out of the event conference business, mm -hmm. so he went to a lot of us that were in the conference world and said, "You're buying bags to put swag for the conference in." Right. I've got a group of immigrant women who need work experience. Wow. They've got to make a living here. I'm going to combine all this together, and then you're going to buy bags for mm -hmm. me at three times what they would cost you normally. Mm -hmm. But you know you're keeping these signs out of the land. Right. You're creating jobs for or immigrant women, most of which did not speak English mm -hmm. as their first language, had just arrived, and were from some of the worst places economically in the world. And uh, and Jeff killed it. It wow. was it was an incredible thing. The bags had the plywood people brand on them, so it built his brand identity out. But it, a few years into it, as they grew the impact they were having, as they grew their programming, Jeff's board had to go to him and say, "This doesn't work anymore." Mm. There's other ways we can employ those women. There are other things that we can do, but with the resources we're using, we can get a higher return on investment right. for our social service outcomes than what we're doing now. And I know from my conversations with Jeff, it was one of the hardest things he ever had to do was shut down that piece mm -hmm. of business. But his business has thrived and exploded. And I say business, not-for-profit, serving right. some of the poor, most vulnerable in the city of Atlanta and building up hundreds of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And so it's been incredible to watch him. But it was one of those great pivots that I learned from and I think a lot of people probably learned from. Right. And from what you're saying, it really seems important not to use being a business owner as an escape from accountability. That's right. You still need to make yep. sure you have people that you're accountable to to be successful, you know? I don't know anybody who's successful that doesn't have accountability partners. Right, right, absolutely. So culture. Um, I've read a lot of 
success stories about companies that have great cultures. We just finished reading a great book um, by Reed Hastings. Yeah, about, rules, rules. Right, about the culture at Netflix. And a lot of them talk about, you know, when I was a startup, um, I wasn't doing this, this, and that. And once I got larger, then I realized how important it was to establish culture. And it just has made me think, it seems like it would be pretty important as a startup from the very beginning to start trying to establish the culture that you ultimately want. And so what are some steps that a business owner can take from the beginning to start kind of putting some cultural things in place? Uh, fire your brother-in-law, mm-hmm. who you took because he would work for free or you felt guilty or needed a job. And, you know, I said I've hired people because I wanted to help them, mm-hmm. and I do, and I get that. But if we're talking about culture, then talent density is right. the most critical component. You've got to make sure you have people who are aligned with their needs, wants, and desires. Mm-hmm. You've got to make sure they're aligned with their commitment to serve without being managed. Mm-hmm. Because on a startup, you simply don't have enough time or capacity right. to deal with fools. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to get those people out the door. Don't, don't let them in the door. Mm-hmm. And make sure that you're focused on that. You've also got to pick inflection points. So there's been a bunch of articles written that there's this kind of valley of death for businesses, mm-hmm. um, I found that it hits about 12 employees. Okay. So if you're a startup, you get about 12 employees. Um, the systems you had to manage the operation at 12 employees don't work for 20. Mm-hmm. So you have to reinvent yourself. So for me, I tell people to plan and build a culture and systems that are double mm-hmm. where they think they're going to be in the first two years or where they even think they want to go. Mm-hmm. So instead of building a system that, that dips at 12, build a system that's for 25 mm-hmm. people. And then when you start getting to 25, pivot and go to a system that will do 100 people because that's the way you can, can have continuous growth and you don't feel like you're stuck in this cul-de-sac of operations mm-hmm. where you have lots of motion but you're just not going anywhere. Right. And so it really is critical to understand who you want to be, who you want to go there with, and then what you're willing to do to get there. Right. And talking about who you want to go there with, I mean, I personally have known many people who, you know, had a dream to start a business, had a great business plan, and the person they chose to partner with, it never got out the gate, you know? And so... Fire your brother-in-law. Yeah, fire your brother-in-law. So, And how do you know that you're working with the right person to... Well, be a partner to you. Great example. So last week I went and looked at a company um, that Lynn and I were considering buying, a mm-hmm. small um, consulting firm. We could relocate it to us. Um, I could add some value to it. Um, didn't compete with anything that we do, but it was. I found it really interesting. And so I uh, had a meeting with the person, going to meet with them at I don't know, 9 o'clock the next morning. I show up at their place at 5.30 the night before and everybody was gone. Wow. I canceled the meeting Mm -hmm. because they were telling me about how hard they're working, about how uh, dynamic, how committed everybody was, Mm -hmm. this great environment. But I got there and literally every car was gone from the parking lot. The place was locked up tight. Mm -hmm. I had called. They had been there at Mm 4.30. But these are people that are not fully committed. They just had jobs. Right. And um, 
And that's, you know you've got the wrong, his problem is culture, mm -hmm. not needing my expertise. Right. So I can't fix that culture if I'm buying the company to provide the expertise. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely finding people who are as committed, at least, if not more, to that dream as you are. Yep. You know? So absolutely. So looking back, um, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you the reverse of it. Right. So what are some things now when you look back that you did that you'd say, you know, I wish I'd done that differently? Hmm. Uh, I think I would be honest about the point. I love strategy. I love starting things. Mm -hmm. I like getting them running really well. The thing I least like is operating. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't give me great joy. And so I would have a defined plan that says, here's my measure that matters. Mm -hmm. When we get here, this is where I have to hire somebody to operate it. Mm -hmm. or uh, or create a new partner, mm -hmm. and where my partner now is running it. You know, that's one of the great things about you know Consultant Connect because mm -hmm. I had you know Carla Sones, um, who was my co-founder. She is an incredible operator, mm -hmm. all of it, well as a visionary. She's one of the most incredible leaders and women I've ever been around. Um, the but. You know, she could run those things mm -hmm. where I could stay in visionary mode, mm -hmm. relationship mode, strategy mode. So knowing what those lines are, you know, Patrick Lincioni, um, you know, has a, a new survey instrument out that helps people see of six areas where they're great at. And uh, with this idea that you stay in your two top areas, mm -hmm. you don't mess around with the other four. Oh, wow. And I would have those rules and those boundaries put in place because I'll get bored and break things just so I can fix them. <laughs> right. And uh, sometimes that's good. Challenge yeah. and change your best every day. But sometimes I'm just breaking things so I can mm -hmm. fix them. Yeah. So the reverse of that question, when you look back, what are some things that you did that you say? If I was starting that business again, I would do that again, or I would do I would apply that again today. Uh, one of the things when I'm starting something new is I create a profile of the person I'm doing it for. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I so I remind myself that because it's going to get hard. There're going to be lousy days. You're going to want to quit. But in my mind, I can't quit because, and I name the person. I know where he or she shops. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, how many kids they have and mm -hmm. what their dreams are about life. It's an entire profile, wow. which is a tool that I learned in a writing class that I took um, in trying to be a better writer is know who you're writing to. Mm -hmm. So when I'm working on a new business or I'm working on delivering, I create this truth is I usually have a picture. Mm -hmm. I have a whole profile. probably wow. looks more like a dating profile than anything. <laughs> but I know who that is because then I can't quit them. Yeah. I can't disappoint that person. Wow. And when I'm trying to make a decision, I think, well, what is Sally or Dan? Mm -hmm. What do they want? Mm -hmm. What do they want me to do mm -hmm. here? And so it isn't about what's the most profitable right. to my ego, to my wallet, to my fame or whatever else it's about what does the customer need 
how do we make how do we discern what that need is and then how do we create a system where we don't disappoint them Mm -hmm. in behaviors that are unintentional but ill-informed right Wow, that is, I've never heard of that before. That's, I don't think I ever told that story before. Yeah, no, that's incredible. So I think that that is a really awesome point for us yeah. to wrap up on. Do you have any other thoughts that you want to share? No, I think the next episode is 294. Mm-hmm. we got to figure out something big for 300. So yes. people have ideas what we should do, talk about. Absolutely. I mean, 300 podcast episodes are it's, that's pretty cool. It is very cool. Yeah. I think I've been with you since 276 or 278. Yeah. Or like so maybe we should get all of my previous co-hosts. We yes. had cool people who have joined us and uh, incredible guests. We've got a bunch of great guests coming up. So if you yes. all know somebody you'd like to hear us talk to, uh, you know, we got great feedback from, I don't know, four episodes ago or so. Mm-hmm. Stephanie Stuckey was with us mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and Stephanie had shared with us some of the you know, struggles she was having trying to get the company restarted. And if you don't follow Stephanie, she's a great follow on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is not normally where I get, you know, great follows from. But Stephanie's a great follow yes. on business. She just had this huge setback on the candy business. And so go follow her. Uh, find people that inspire you mm-hmm. and let us know who are the people you inspire you that aren't Kardashians right. or famous. <laughs> Who are the people just doing awesome kick butt things and share them with us and we'll share it with the world. Yes. So we, uh, we love you for listening. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us. If today's conversation has ignited greatness in you, take your next step and visit ronkitchens.com to gain more inspiration and to connect with Ron. You can also tweet Ron at Ron Kitchens. Until next time, keep moving, always forward.